Hello, welcome back to Anime on the Sea to Sky, episode 27. It's been a surprisingly productive month in terms of actually getting a handful of these episodes out, considering that in the midst of the transition of the anime spring season into the anime summer season, a lot of it's been kind of moving around on top of the fact that... As you saw two episodes ago, I've been working on a handful of collaborative projects going through with a bunch of different groups, and it's kind of been a really interesting transition, and actually being able to go through and go back and forth with a couple of people, and actually be able to, like, expand upon and go through tangents from different perspectives, and actually being able to have a bit of fun and have a little bit of back and forth between the guests, but... It definitely has been interesting considering that with the amount of content that I'm able to do with bridging the gaps in between seasons... It doesn't, I highly doubt that I'll be able to keep up this one episode per week, uh, track along for too long, but we'll just kind of have to see what happens, but I will probably expect either next week or the week after to return to an episode every two weeks style of format, but I guess considering that, um, related to this, one of the reasons why I was able to go back to back episodes a week is that the previous episode, episode 26, was originally going to be the 25th episode, but considering that I was able to finally get in contact with the two-for-one uh, special podcast, I ended up deciding to put that on the shelf and kind of move that into a subsidiary, because for the first time in a while, I was able to just kind of make a project and put it on backlog and basically use it for whatever it was, considering the timing was convenient, MAPA's uh, 10th year anniversary, gave a lot of uh, stuff and interesting ideas to talk about, but mm, some positive, some negative, unfortunately. And so I guess that's going to be the final, hopefully this is the final week I'm going to have to talk about it until MAPA decides to go through and input some of their new series that have been putting up on their production schedules, even though, yes, they do have something coming out in not only the summer season, but the fall season as well, and and as well, and leading into the winter season as well. I already stated at length over the past two episodes kind of how concerned I am based on how much production that they've been able to go through. Even ha after having a small expansion of their staff, I still don't think it's enough, and based on the stories that have been coming out over the past two weeks, I'm getting less and less uh, positive in terms of where exactly the studio stands right now inside of the industry, considering that on top of everything else, with the series Yasuke, which I'm definitely going to be talking about this episode in particular, was already caught up and being shown by animators and parts of the production staff alike that they were given bottom rate pay when they were going through and leading into the production of Netflix's Yasuke. And while we understand that the wages come after the budget's been set and that it can vary anywhere between 3,800 to 7,000 yen, which would essentially be anywhere along the lines of, um, you know, 40 to 70 bucks American per cut, it would, you would expect like for a, a series or not a series, a streaming site like Netflix, who has already stated previously that they are going to input hundreds of millions of dollars into the production of new anime series that are going to be per, uh, being put down on their own platform, you would think that the larger conglomerates like Netflix, like Amazon Prime, would have been the ones to kind of go through and not only hire the ones that have more opportunities and more credit and of essential experience to bring on more people and more studios that they've been related to and actually give them a decent workload and a decent pay in comparison to what the industry has done now. But it doesn't matter considering that just because Netflix is on the production committee and they were the ones that asked for the creation of this series in general, it still doesn't fucking matter considering that they are still going to be paying the majority of these production teams and the majority of these studios bottom rate sets just to get these series out the door, which is really fucking concerning, considering that, I mean, this was a six-episode ONA series. Not a, I'm pretty sure only one episode lasted longer than a half hour, wherein every other one was related to a 20 to 25-minute uh, episode run. And they're still going to pay these people bottom rate pay for a six-episode OVA series that they are going to produce on their platform which is just incredibly abusive and way too far in the vein of taking advantage of all of these studios leading into it, considering that it doesn't necessarily matter, where at least the pr the majority of it will be able to get a much more uh, larger international audience, for sure. But then, if that's the case, it doesn't fucking matter if the majority of the budget is going to stay the same in the vein that everybody else working on this staff is still going to be paid just as badly if they were going to be doing it for just a Japanese audience. It's still... which is... 
moving into the future because we know this has been going through for the past couple of years, especially with stories coming out of Polygon and especially stuff coming out of Science Saru, considering that they were the ones that did, they did Devilman Crybaby, then Polygon was the one that did Nightestonia, and considering that the majority of those productions that have Netflix on their board are still not going to give them the right time and quality that they need to make these productions that Netflix now getting into the production side of anime in general is still going to take quantity over quality is just I don't know man it's 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 nothing good to look forward to in general but of course it's going to be Mappa is definitely going to be taking those kinds of chances because it definitely guarantees them and their committees an audience but it doesn't give any positive linings to those who are legitimately working on it in actually making these things come to life which then moving forward was a bit of a slap to the face considering that MAPPA, like, recently uploaded photos of their new offices with shops and cafes for not only the fans, but the workers alike to incre- to- oh God, what would they- what would they call it? Designed with the intention to improve the workplace environment. <laughs> with the lack of skilled animators that have been worsening lately, as the notes explain, one of the various causes is because skilled people in the anime and games industries have instead been going to China, which is in a good economic position to create these types of, uh, projects. In order to secure skilled talent, the workplace environment has to improve, and in the end, we have focused on using wood with warmth for the desks, creating an open space lounge where people can refresh themselves, and in the future, thinking of gathering all the annex studios for this production company into one big site along the line, and we will create an animator's village brimming with nature and establish it alongside a shop and cafe so that fans can also visit and take over. Isn't that fucking fantastic that the people who are still being paid bottom rate garbage on top of working the majority of it, at least 10 to 12 hours a day, at least they have warm mahogany desks to literally fall asleep and crash on so that they can wake up only a handful of hours later and get right back to the fucking grindstone for the majority of projects that's going through. It's, it was just so... It was just such shitty timing where it was just kind of like, oh, it's going to line up perfectly because we just had our 10th year anniversary. We're showing all these fantastic projects that we got lined up. The Chainsaw Man PV literally went viral. And this is going to be the workplace that the majority of the Chainsaw Man production is going through. Like, this is going to give us such a great international footing. And it's going to save us face and showing us that we have these really good environments, too bad the pay, too bad the work hours, too bad that literally the ha a handful of the animators that came through and did work on said PV, that did a handful of the two to three second cuts for this production, were literally only paid two fucking US dollars for their cut. And of course you would understand where it's just kind of like, oh, well, fuck, two bucks for two seconds of animation? Of course that sounds completely and utterly understandable. It's like, are you fucking out of your mind? Are you kidding me? The fact that, like, first of all, that's at least 24 uh, frames. That is at least 24 frames for the two second cut that they're actually going to have to do. And it's like, you can, and that would take you more than a day to get those frames out the door. And so you're telling me that for somebody who's going to take about a day's worth of labor to only amount to a $2 payday? Really? <sighs> this is not going to be the last time I'm going to be able to talk about MAPPA. And it's definitely going to be in such a polarizing degree because they make fantastic works they are have literally been standing on the top of the board easily at the at the end of 2019 considering that they had the fi the finality of jujutsu kaisen's first season they had the finality of the first half of the final season of attack on titan they were on the top of the world and the only way that shit comes out is if the series and the studio gets popular enough that people actually have to legitimately start looking more into these kinds of studios. Like, how how does such high-quality work come out of these kinds of industries and institutions? Well, here's the thing. All we have to do is literally fucking grind our work workers down to the fucking nub just so we can get these things out the door in time and just continuously go through burnout. And then we'll just blame China considering that even though China is an incredibly fucking horrible position right now, I have absolutely no respect for them, the one thing that China can guarantee is, like they said, a good economic position, a good economic incentive to go and work for projects over there because it seems that at that point in time, they're actually going to give a damn about paying you correctly. So, 
Yeah, I'm sure those fucking worn-out animators are going to be incredibly thankful for the fact that now their desks are not in acrylic plastic and more of a fucking wood so that they can legitimately... So it'll be more comfortable for them to fucking fall asleep on or sleep under their own desks. Like, I don't fucking know, man. Everybody's going to be singing their praises once Chainsaw Man, like, goes through, and depending on the the ending of Attack on Titan's final season, they're also going to go through, but it's like, we always have to keep this in the back of our minds whenever... We have this industry that we're passionate about that we want it to be better. We love it so dearly, but at the same time, we want it to be better not only for the industry and for the shows that get created, but for the people that legitimately put their lives into in their own hands to legitimately make these things that we love so dearly. And so that's definitely one of the concerning things that I'm going to like see for MAPA, considering that I think I've probably said this like verbatim on another one of my podcasts, or at least one of the previous episodes, is just that MAPA is definitely the anime industry's bubble condensed into one studio. All its problems, all its future endeavors, all its successes, all of its failures, it is all wrapped up into this one in particular studio that can basically just represent the entire industry as a whole, and it is very, very, very concerning. Oh, let's, uh, well, let's see. Let's, let's get over that. Let's look for something a little more happy. So, at least something in terms of Canada, something that's a little more closer to home, considering that the, uh, Ottawa Animation Festival's digital event is going to be having five different works, uh, going through the majority of their jurors and is going to be participating in it. And so I think one of them, which was done by Studio 4C, Fortune Favors Lady, uh, Nikuko, is definitely seems like a very, like, small, down-to-earth, port side town slice of life sort of deal and it's really curious to see but that's mostly because it's going to be taking place like at, at least the basis of it is in ottawa is in ontario i don't know how long if i'm going to be able to stick around here for as long to just to see when it actually comes in late september but it's definitely nice to see that for the majority of it you, you still have a lot more uh japanese works being influenced and like being put into these uh competitions in terms of you had you have the anxious body which is also a non-narrative short animation that is coming from japanese works and three others including a bite of the bone uh, Kanir Girikun's Concert, and Coin Adventure, which are all going to be Japanese short films that are also going to be taking the dive and is going to be jumping into the competition as well. And that's probably as small scale as these films can go, but if we're talking about one that is probably going to be making waves inside of North America, and even, sorry, not just inside North America, fuck, throughout the entire world, considering that even though it's already had its theatrical run in Japan, the Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0 movie is going to be coming to Amazon Prime Video on August 13th. And that's going to be really easy for me, considering that that's going to give me two opportunities to go out uh, on this podcast and not only give a... <laughs> it'll give me an opportunity to do an in-depth look at the original Evangelion series, which is currently out on Netflix right now, so please go give that a watch, as well as going through and talking about the rebuilds and how exactly that has changed over the past de two decades relating to Evangelion as a whole. So I am really curious to see how this final conclusion ends. This is a story that has essentially started with Evangelion back in 1995, with the first rebuild film, I think, coming out in 2007 or 2008. But this entire series as a whole, with its influence on the culture and animation in, inside, outside of Japan in general, is abs cannot not absolutely be understated. And on top of that, finally being able to go worldwide and have the opportunity to go through and give us the chance to watch this, which before the pandemic, was going to be out at the beginning of 2020. And of course, that had to be moved back, and it did finally get its debut in Japan back in June. But now we're actually going to have the opportunity to watch it literally only two months after this like had its theatrical debut in Japan. And we're finally going to have the opportunity to go through and watch it. I don't... Oh, sorry, that was the um the final run of Evangelion happened in June. It actually did open back up in March 8th of this year. So I'm really curious to see how this version of Evangelion ends, because at this point in time, we technically are going to have three different endings of the Evangelion franchise. And I don't know, it's, I'm definitely going to try and go in as blind as possible just to have the opportunity to go through and see what this 
side of the story has to say and how its conclusion is reached, we don't know. But at least on August 13th, we'll have the opportunity to go through and have the opportunity to find out. And something that I had seen before that I was really curious about, like, leading into it, but not necessarily having an idea of how grand a scale it was going to be, was the Star Wars uh, Visions anthology. Because I knew it was going to be a project that I think they announced last year, which was going to be a part of basically what Disney was going to be doing with the Star Wars franchise as a whole. And it was like, oh, Visions, a set of, uh, like, short animated features. And I was like, oh, so they're going to get, like, Powerhouse to do it. They're going to get, like, some North American or some French studios to kind of, like, take their in. It's like, no, 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 no. This is going to be a Japanese anthology, like, short section of basically letting these studios do whatever they want to do. And we've got Studio Colorido, we've got Kamikaze Doga, we've got Kinema Citrus, we have Science Saru, Production IG, and hell, even Trigger is going to be having the opportunity to have the, to get their hands to work on something that is legitimately down inside of the Star Wars franchise. Of course, it's all... They're all animated shorts, and they're all going to have their own twist, and they're all going to have their own story. It is literally just an animation showcase, and letting these uh, studios and directors and animators do whatever they want with the Star Wars franchise, which is really going to be curious, and I'm really going to be excited to see like what they have to bring inside of this particular part of the, not necessarily canon, but this part of the Star Wars universe in general. Like, it's it's looking like it's going to be fun. I am... (laughs) It is really exciting to actually be able to go through and go uh have the opportunity to watch this once it comes out on disney plus on september 22nd so i guess the reason why i'm being able to have so many episodes come out in short amount of time is because considering that the majority of the projects that i had like lined up uh kind of coalesced with a handful of the collaborations that i'm also doing in the middle of it which has given me the opportunity to essentially have all of these in back-to-back-to-back weeks for the sole reason that i don't really want anything to kind of be out of, um, not necessarily out of context, but just out of the cultural zeitgeist in the sense that I don't want to do a spring retrospective when it's four to five weeks inside of the summer season. And I didn't want to like do a summer, like first impressions or like in the same deal, we're already halfway through the season. So I did kind of want to line all these back up and at least it's something that I have to go through. And at least it gives me an opportunity to do the content, but Thankfully, I've had a bit more time on my hands lately, which has been able to give me the opportunity to go through and put these uh, series out one by one. So, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how long I'm going to be able to keep the streak up, but at least for now, I've got a good idea on how much I have in my backlog and how many topics I'm going to be able to cover and see what comes up in the future. But, for now, we are going to be giving through a retrospective on at least the shows that I was able to listen to and watch over the past spring 2021 anime season. And surprisingly enough, after I caught up on the final show of this season, I realized that for the first time in, like, years, I was able to fully complete 10 anime series in the same season. All of them to varying degrees of success and varying degrees of quality, for sure. But at least before I get into those and basically give my quote-unquote top 10 shows of the spring 2021 anime season as presented by the Anime on the Seas Sky podcast. I'll at least give, like, note to the ones that definitely had, uh, like, the popularity and the mainstay and the fan base to actually, like, keep themselves, like, relevant throughout the majority of it, but I did not get around to watching them. So, apparently, Tokyo Revengers, uh, was a popular manga series that is still going through and is doing a double core leading into the summer season, but I'm not going to give that a watch because it didn't necessarily seem like my cup of tea. And I've heard of just middling, like, back-to-back where it's like, oh, the people who are excited about this, like, are watching it and are satisfied. But it's still garnering enough of a new following to kind of keep it relevant, which is definitely nice to see, but I'll throw that on the back burner and, like, maybe I'll get to it, but I highly doubt I will. Zombieland Saga had a second season, which I didn't catch up because I was already watching so much in of its own, but apparently it's the same quality and the same, like, righteous humor that the first season was able to go through, so I guess that's all I can say. If you liked Zombieland Saga Season 1, you're probably gonna like Season 2. I got through a handful of episodes in the beginning of the new remade version of the Shaman King anime adaptation, and it didn't really give me too much to go off of because it was very lackluster in any of the department, and 
I it made me re- remember. It's like, oh yeah, I remember watching this like way back in the mid two thousands when it was on like fucking YTV and Teletoon. It's like I remember like this specific plot beat there. And once the nostalgia kind of wore off, it was just kind of like I'll I'll wait and see what the rest of the crowd thinks. Apparently, we are now past the point of the original anime run that it's now going into uh, parts where the uh, in the manga where the original anime adaptation didn't uh, get as far enough. So kind of curious to see how that goes and how much they're able to conclude, because I think they've already been slated for like an over 50 episode run. So I'll just wait and see and go for uh, how that kind of lines up. And so another series that is going to be, so uh, what was this? This was a light novel and people were hyped about it leading into it. And it definitely got the attention of the majority of the community in terms of 86 which I'm pretty sure is going to be getting a second season, like lining up afterwards because this is A1 Pictures, and when A1 Pictures like finds a successful piece, they definitely jump on it. And it's definitely one of those series where, from what I look on it on the outside, it's kind of just something I would imagine I would have seen uh, like a thousand times before, like hyperbole standing, that it is kind of like, oh, well, there's all these robots, and it's a war between these two, like, very uh, coalescing but rich countries, and they're actually doing battle on the battlefield with these robots, and so there's nothing wrong with the robots. Oh, except there's this marginalized, tiny community of people called the 86, and it's not an unmanned robot fight, and it's because the 86s are actually, like, manning these drones to actually go through, and because the people don't know that the marginalized community is still the ones being into it, and that gives everybody up inside the higher community and up in the higher class, it gives them ease, because at least we're fighting these without sacrifice of human life. But even if they did, they would be like, oh yeah, well, fuck the 86s. And it's just kind of like, I have a bad feeling that I would go into the series and it being like, everybody outside of the main character and like one or two people inside of the military bits are just like, high-class assholes, and I really hope that's not the case, because at least it should have gotten to the popularity that it did for not being so incredibly one-note and so incredibly cliche in that vein. But by the time it really did start, like, picking up steam, I just didn't necessarily give it the time of day. So it will... I don't know if it's going to be getting a second season at some point in time, but based on the success and the popularity and the notoriety that it's gained over its first 12-episode run, I would not be surprised that that's going to be the case. And then the other surprise shocker of the season that I didn't necessarily get into, but people were up and down and up and down about was definitely uh, Vivi. And it was an original series done by Studio Wit, who originally was the first three seasons of Attack on Titan fame. And it was all from what I've heard. It is a wrapped up story in 12 to 13 episodes where the first nine or 10 episodes are really decent and like way up there, but then it fails to stick the landing in an incredibly satisfying manner, but more than enough for people not to just completely blindside it and hate it. Because that sort of title would definitely go to the Wonder Egg Priority uh, finale, I guess, that you would go through, considering that Wonder Egg Priority was a fantastic series that came out back in the winter 2021 season. Probably the biggest surprise of the season by far, which is a tough recommendation now, considering that it's not going to... I highly doubt it's going to be getting any more subsidiary content. It's like the... It's, it's the same deal as Vivi. The first nine to ten episodes were really strong and a very poignant tale about, you know, suicide and guilt and self-harm and how exactly it means to move forward and try and create new relationships and forge new bonds and repair whatever you have left after one large portion of your life has already gone and you felt responsible for it. It was a really poignant 9 to 10 episodes. Unfortunately, it did kind of start to jump the gun in its final stretch, and then leading the production team to legitimately overhype what this final episode was going to be, because Cloverworks was in such a grind that they literally started having production problems since episode 2, and the fact that it still looked as good as it did, and it was able to strive as much as it was able to accomplish despite the really tumultuous production schedule was really like inspiring towards the majority of this but to then realize that the production team was advertising this and hyping it up to be a near one hour finale for a series that was all like well loved and all set up only for it to be a 48 episode bit with the first 24 minutes of it being recap 
and then taking away three minutes on top of that for the opening and ending theme, giving us probably about 20 to 21 episodes of new, or 20 to 21 minutes of new content that resolves part of what was able to be questioned at the end of the original series, but then leaving us with more questions than answers, especially with how they decided to relate like the new girl in the sense that she's not a, she like she's not just a regular girl, she's also an advanced AI, like based on what the other girl and the major enemy and antagonist of what the series was setting up to being in the last series, and then on top of the fact, her deciding to reject humanity and go and live with the antagonist of being a, an AI, with the rest of the girls, like basically just walking off and not necessarily doing much, leading into our main character essentially being a warrior for these two guys, because there's not much that she can do in her life, and... The fact that her other friend who was living and trying to figure out parallel worlds is now, like, back in the picture and she's now... It was... If these ramblings don't make any bit of sense to you, don't worry. I had no fucking idea what was going on even when I was fucking watching it. So, it was an incredibly ambitious project, which is a stellar 10-episode run of trying to pick yourself up and trying to forgive yourself through a semblance of guilt and trauma. But for the rest of it... I cannot... Uh, it's it's really tough, man. I, I'd like to recommend this show, but it's kind of like recommending a, a fucking Game of Thrones in the sense that I'll let you watch it. It's a, it's a good, like, starter if you haven't seen much anime before, for sure, but then you have to really temper your expectations onto what exactly you're going to be expecting for the conclusion. And like many others, it is an incredibly tough sell to try and put that huge asterisk on top of any production or any recommendation to try to give to somebody. So that was <laughs> all the shows that, well, no, this was, that was the majority of shows that I didn't necessarily give it a chance. So now I guess I can go through and talk about the other 10 shows and a quote unquote top 10 series of uh, the spring 2021 season. But I think I'll just kind of get this out of the way and put, because I was already talking about the one OVA episode about Wonder Egg Priority and how that was kind of disappointing. I'll definitely give the most disappointing piece in this entire bit. Like I was talking about before, it's it's Yasuke. Like, it was... I'm surprised. Like, it took me a while to realize. It's like, hey, guess what? You you did watch Yasuke this season. It's like, did I? It's like, oh, fuck, right. I literally watched this, like, back in June. And there was not really much for me to do, especially with the muddled, uh, like, section and jumping of, like, characters' motivations right in the middle of the series, where it was a... Even as an action fair, I don't think I would put it up there. It's not as good as you would expect. Like, there is no feasible way I could recommend this. Like, it, it, I, I would probably say, which was definitely a uh, sad idea on my end, it was like, oh yeah, Flying Lotus and a bit of the team who helped with the Samurai Champloo soundtrack is going to get involved in this. And it's like, oh fuck, I fell for the bait. Just like I did with uh, Fully Coolie Progressive and Alternative, I fell for the bait of giving the music priority. And so, yeah, I, I guess I talked to it at length about my Netflix episode a handful of episodes prior, but, uh, yeah, no, I just can't in good conscience actually give this a good recommendation. Um, and in the same vein, I can't necessarily give a good recommendation to The World Ends With You, the animation, either. Because this would have, this was my first video game adaptation that I've seen in the same vein that I've actually played the adaptation beforehand. Because... I have not played Persona 3, 4, or 5, I have not played Danganronpa, um, and, and that I haven't played any of the Tales of games, and so this is the first time that for a project that I played to get an animated adaptation, I said I was going to watch it, but I kept my expectations low, and they, I guess they met my expectations in the sense that I knew it was going to be rushed and I knew it was going to be a little on the, on the slow side. People are definitely going to like give it prop, or not props, are going to give it like licks on like not having any sort of like relevance to the 3D CG monsters. And I'm thinking, you know what? I can totally like pass off any of the 3D CG stuff. It's just kind of like the incredibly fast paced re retelling of what the series was is just kind of like I would say you would get a better option if you did not want to play the game go and watch like an hour hour and a half YouTube video of a summary of the plot and the mechanics of the game and you'll probably come out with a better understanding and feel for what this show and what this story was just by that alone although considering that not only is the 
The World Ends With You Final Remix is currently sitting on the uh, Nintendo Switch store. The sequel is going to be coming out in July. So, I would not recommend the anime. I would definitely recommend the games going through and giving those guys a shot, because you will not be disappointed in that vein. Except I have been disappointed a little bit in terms of, quote-unquote, the number 8 spot, which would be the first part of the My Hero Academia's fifth season. And so... I think I've talked, I've gone through this before in the sense that My Hero is definitely an interesting sort of, uh, position for me because I've watched a good part of Bleach and One Piece and Naruto and Shippuden, but it's definitely different in the same vein that I started watching the My Hero anime adaptation starting with season two, and in the gap between season two and three, I jumped on the manga. And now I'm fully caught up on the manga. And so it is a really, interesting perspective I have now, in the sense that I already know the story beats leading into every single arc that is going through, but I want to see how good of an adaptation that uh, Studio Bones is going to make of this. And I still don't think there has been a better adaptation of any of the, of any of My Hero's content since Season 2. Because Season 1, at least you had the final, you had the build-up with Deku, as as well as the final fight in, uh, against the No Moon Season 1. But it just definitely started feeling like they are milking this like a cash cow. Which is definitely understandable, and they're giving pieces and episodes the time, the time of day to strive. And definitely there were points in the third season that really, like, wowed everybody. But, essentially how much has dropped in terms of quality for the fourth season, probably because they had to allocate resources to help get the second My Hero film out the door. And then in the same vein of season five right now, which is just, so guess what? You are going to, so far, season five, you've had, I knew the boring 1v, or uh, team A versus team B arc was going to be happening, but everybody and their mother knew that My Villain Academia was going to be the highlight of season five. And we are currently on episode 16, and we have not had a whiff of any of these, uh, like pieces of the plot to go through. Absolutely nothing. In fact, the episode that I woke up and watched today, which was episode 16, is basically a one note filler episode, a beach filler episode with a previous OVA character that is leading up to the film that is going to be popping out in the first month or the first week of August for Japan. So they're using this little time that they have left to essentially go through and adapt the better arc of season five. And it's getting less and less poignant and you're getting fewer and fewer episodes and you're going more and more down to the wire that we are getting absolutely nothing in terms of this, which is still giving me hope in the same vein that there is still this arc and the arc after it that's going to be coming up. Having that back-to-back would kind of be insane, but for now, it's just such a slow and arduous process that the only good thing about My Hero Academia right now is how the manga's been running. Because the current arc in the manga, I love it. I feel every single week and the wait for every single chapter to come out this like the arc that the manga is in right now holy shit i really want to, i can't wait to see this animated a couple of years down the line but now but then this is the same vein as uh the uh promised neverland season two where it's in such a weird adaptational and basically story structured standpoint for not only the anime onlys but for the manga readers as well because neither of us have any idea what's going on here and what's worse is that, for me personally, it's boring as shit. Dude, if you thought the Team A versus Team B, like, training stuff was arduous and took too long for over 10 weeks of um, anime content, dude, we had to wait at least 20 weeks in a chapter-by-chapter basis to get through this one mini-arc, which would then lead into something that was a lot more satisfying. They now feel our pain, and nobody is happy right now, which is definitely a little bit of an undercurrent. Like, if there's anything that you can take away from the first core of My Hero's fifth season, nobody is happy. Nobody, like, everybody is either waiting in anticipation or waiting for this to end. Like, it's, it's definitely something else, man. It is a really interesting and unique experience. 
But in terms of afterwards, we got the first core of To Your Eternity. And besides the first episode and the final half of the final arc, like basically nine of these 12 episodes, I could not care less. Like, I, I definitely understand. I definitely, like, there were tears to be shed for people going in blind, like, including myself. But when you realize what the formula is going to be, and how happiness cannot stay for too long. Like, when I know a character is going to be axed, there's not really much for me to do to latch onto, because if these are how short these arcs are within three episodes apiece, then it trains me and conditions me to not care about anybody related inside of this series, because it's just, oh yeah, don't get too attached, because they're probably gone within three episodes, whether they're, whether they're alive or not. So it's just really, it's it's just an awkward settlement. It started to find its footing in the final half of the final arc, for sure. I definitely started enjoying that a lot more. But knowing what would potentially happen, I just can't necessarily ask myself to get involved with these characters. And so, even though it's like number seven right now, it's still, I'll have to wait to figure out to give it a recommendation once the second core of the season ends, considering that it's already moving through uh, into the summer season. So I'm really curious to see where it goes and hopefully change in some way, shape, or form to start making me care about any of the characters, because unfortunately at this point in time, I can't be asked to. But now I can actually start like going through and giving shows that I legitimately enjoy a bit more of a spotlight, which would lead us into Thunderbolt Fantasy Season 3 which was really curious considering that they were in so many different positions. And what I didn't realize is that they were legitimately going through and like following up on the arc that happened at the end of the final season or not the final season, the previous season. And so if, for those that have no idea what Thunderbolt fantasy is, you can't even call it an anime, but it was on Crunchyroll. So I'm just going to throw this because I really did give it a, <laughs> I really did enjoy it to a degree. So it is a Taiwanese puppet show with Japanese voice actors written, uh, uh, not directed by, but written by Gen Orobuchi of Madoka Magica fame, of Psychopass fame, the first episode of Held Noah Zero. Um, so just all of these opportunities to a man whose writing chops is probably one of the highest pieces inside of the anime industry, but he's been consistently writing this stuff since I think like 2015 was the first uh, Thunderbolt season. And it's really, I don't think I would recommend the first season too much. I would say it gets better as it goes along, but it's a, it's a puppet show is, is literally the only thing. Although it is probably the most badass puppet show, like action that you have probably ever seen because it is anime to a T, but with dolls instead of, uh, like drawings. Like that, that is probably the only one that I could recommend it to it. And, Urobuchi continuously shows his writing chops with doing, like, intercharacter relationships and how everybody wants something from somebody else, but how is that going to, like, go through once the curtain, once the carpet gets pulled out from under them? It's really interesting and a legitimately fun series, especially where you thought, at least in the third season, the main characters are going to get duped and there's nothing that they're going to be able to do to stop it, and when you realize that the majority of it was all a ruse, by possibly one of the best you know, mind game protagonists inside of all of anime, who is essentially a puppet, is definitely, like, no shortage of, like, recommendations and writing chops to the Oro Butcher, without question. <laughs> so it's, so if there's anything, like, Thunderbolt Fantasy is, without a doubt, the toughest sell of anything in my catalog, but I will definitely, like, if you're looking for something so outlandish that you felt like you've seen everything, give Thunderbolt Fantasy a watch, and you won't be disappointed. And then me deciding to cheat a bit in the sense that Godzilla Singular Point is now out on Netflix. Except it definitely wasn't back in March. So <laughs> so because it was on Japanese Netflix, it was able to go through on a handful of streaming and torrenting sites, and I thought I would give it an opportunity to watch it. And I was so surprised at how like ridiculous but well put together this piece of Godzilla fiction is. And I'm not really much of a Godzilla guy. I've seen only the first Godzilla, uh, what is it, live-action film that came out in the mid-2010s. I've seen the original, like, Godzilla puppet 
film that was back in uh, Japan. I've seen Shin Godzilla, who came out because it was Hideaki Anno's uh, uh, directorial chops that was able to bring that stuff to life, which was incredibly fun to watch. And it's in the same vein. You would definitely find a similar feeling from Shin Godzilla to Godzilla Singular Point. Oddballs working together through a avalanche of pseudoscience and having that information and unique expertise to potentially save the world. Like, that is that has been how the majority, apparently how the majority of Godzilla shows have essentially gone by. And I think whoever, so it was a joint production too. I think the only, one of the main reasons why I jumped onto this show was because just the production staff alone, because it was the majority of the 2D and character stuff was done by Bones, where the 3D modeling as well as the monster designs were going through by Studio Orange. And if you have, and so like Bones on the 2D and Orange on the 3D, bro, this was just a match made in heaven. You could not find a better studio collaboration to get this out. And so, yes, it was done by Netflix, but what they were able to accomplish and how they were able to make it such a fun and intriguing and entertaining, like, view into the Godzilla-like universe with their own personal spins on it, with with uh, also, like, calling back to original pieces from the Godzilla canon, even though I have legitimately barely any expertise or, uh, like, knowledge going through that. It was definitely fun to see, like, how much passion the majority of these people who were involved in the production actually were able to go through. There's a article, I, I would say, if you're interested in giving it a shot, I would definitely go through and recommend it, even though it is a Godzilla bit, and I understand that Godzilla vs. Kong just came out uh, recently in theaters, so, hey, if you're interested in getting into more of the Godzilla canon, I would still recommend giving this one a watch, because it's still just as entertaining and just as action-packed as any of the Hollywood alter alternatives. And then if you really want to, like, like dip your head into the abyss that is the Godzilla canon, for me in particular, there was one article about the ending theme. Currently, one of my favorite ending themes, if not my favorite one of the year so far. And how many Godzilla references they were able to cram into this one, one and a half minute ending series was absolutely insane. From the 60s to 2018... Almost every reference to every, like, Godzilla piece and function is in there. And it is absolutely, it is, it's, it's such a fun read if you love looking at referential material like I do, just to kind of see, like, you know, the people who were behind, like, animating this were huge fans and tried to fit as much of their passion in as humanly possible. And I can only really give them praise for an outstanding job bringing their passion to the forefront. So I guess moving on from, uh, monsters, and science fiction in the other regard, we're going to talk about monsters in science fiction, but in the regard of tokusatsu, with definitely a worthy successor and sequel to SSSS Gridman, we have SSSS Dinozenon. It was a bit of a slow start, kind of like the first season as well, considering that it gave me about two or three episodes to really kind of care about any of the characters involved leading into any of this because it was a little bit of a slow start outside of the monster fights but as it moved along as i started to like just give these characters more of a time of day it easily became like one of my favorite series of the not only the season but the year and so it definitely did its job in not only going through and expanding upon what the the original Gridman did, but giving its own spin, giving its own... Because the characters are basically just an entire reference to another Gridman property that was way back in, um, fuck, was it like the 90s or the 2000s? But it still was able to, like, give more enough of its, of its um, own spin-off. Not necessarily spin-off, but, um its own personal flair and energy and dynamicism, but it still has more than enough of its own staying power to kind of, like, bring us into this different but very similar world into the aspect that we had from the previous Gridman. And on top of that, like, essentially, like, not really giving too much background information, but just enough for you to care about all of the kaiju eugenesis, which act as the main antagonist throughout the majority of the series, considering that it's not really just the eugenicists that act as the main conflicting force of the characters, but every single one of them is going through some piece of stress or trauma or, like, relation to try that have just been essentially, like, tearing them apart from the inside. Some to varying degrees of success and some to others that basically just have to try and move on and essentially move forward. 
And not only him, but even the being that essentially goes through and brings them into this conflict, Galma, that makes them all Dinozenon pilots. But it was really interesting, especially like the biggest two moments that ended up going through with these two series is for, is like the official realization and drop that it's like, guess what? Dinozenon and Gridman are in the same universe. We're bringing back the old characters and we end up getting Knight and Second and they both end up <laughs> like going through and start helping the majority of the characters like after they arrive. And then episode nine, that was Gridman's crowning achievement. Episode 10 would have been Dinozenon's like like callback to what these were considering that episode 9 and 10 of both of these series respectively like basically give the reins to all of these new uh to these new animators that are like going through and like giving their own unique style and what was possibly the better one like the two best episodes of gridman would definitely be episode 9 and then their final episode but then it's kind of the same deal where it's where it's definitely Episode 10 has that, like, gravitas and has, like, the most, uh, like, momentum and change towards any of the characters that go through. And what they're able to accomplish just in those episodes, while the final, while the finale was a still, like, a little bit underwhelming in comparison to the rest of the, rest of the cast, I still do think that if there's anything that anybody should, like, give a watch or give kind of, like, an entryway to either Mecha or Tokusatsu or, like, anything in the bids, like, Trigger has got you covered. Like, not only with Promare as a film, but with the Gridman and Dinozenon series that is now an official collaboration inside of the same universe. And I cannot wait to kind of see what they're able to bring to life next and what new properties that they're able going to be able to bring into the formula as well as the franchise, as well as how these two are going to interact in the future. So we have now reached the top three. And what definitely started as a really dour and concerning take from its predecessor, Megalobox's second season basically came out of nowhere to everybody's surprise, considering that way back when the first season came out and it had a relatively conclusive like ending to what that was, it's just like, hey, guess what? Joe's back doing underground fights. It's been five years. He's addicted to painkillers. He's still, he's going through and not doing any of these uh, rigged fights, but he still wants to essentially, like, fight until he legitimately kills himself. Like, he, he is in such a dour and down state in comparison to when he was at the top of the world at the end of the previous season. Like, it is... The way this starts off, it's just like, wait, so we brought back this original property just to go through and shit on Joe after all he's accomplished? Come on, man, don't fucking do him dirty like that. But as it goes on, you definitely realize, like, how much they're able to extrapolate and still be able to evolve all of these characters that still decided to go through and move forward and you get glimpses about why Joe left, because now he's alone, now he doesn't have his coach, now he doesn't have all of his newfound family, or his mechanic, or any of the people that he fought with. Even the one, even Sachio, who was like with him until the very end, and was in his literal corner, now hates him with a vehement kind of venom in every single conversation that he has. And that Nanbu is nothing but a ghost, a shadow, who is ultimately dead, but we don't know why. And all of this definitely was, like, one of the biggest heel turns out of any of the series or the sequels that I was jumping in to get into. But as the series goes on, and I think what a lot of people do say, I think I ended up giving the first, like, this entire season in general, I would give it probably, like, a strong 8. Just not enough to be a 9, but more than enough to still give them the opportunity to kind of, like, move forward, because it is a still a very satisfying series with a satisfying conclusion. The original arc, the first arc of this series that goes through the first four episodes, I would give it a 10. If it was just off of that, like, short story alone, I would give the first four episodes of Megalobox a 10. Like, it is up there. It is way up there on ideas of family and bringing yourself back up from the depths of your own personal abyss that you created for yourself, and trying to right the wrongs where even though it would take more work than it did to get yourself in there, it's still more than enough worth of a journey to actually taking for yourself. Not only to better the ones 
that were related around and the ones that essentially helped you through and better them, but to also better yourself and bring yourself back up from wherever you decided to go. And that was a really like roundabout, like I kept going in circles about that, which I definitely apologize. But the second season of Megalobox definitely warners its mainstay inside of its franchise. And it definitely deserves to be like garnered as one of the better sports drama series that have come out in the past two decades. And then on the exact opposite side of the spectrum, at number two, I will give it to Fruits Basket's final season. It was shaky, for sure. They had to figure out how to fit to fit all of this in with its final confrontations, its conclusions, how the majority of the relationship of the characters are actually going to have to go through and survive the majority of the calamities that led through. And it was it felt a little rushed, and a couple of the dynamics that I felt were a little ham-fisted and a little concerning, to say the least. I will still give it the benefit of the doubt and say that as a like as the longest sh uh, shoujo series that I've watched, it is probably my favorite series there. It is probably my favorite shoujo series of all time, followed up closely by Kimini Todoke and followed up even closer by his and her circumstances. But what it was still able to accomplish in its first 50 episodes with the relationships and loss and guilt, and trying to forgive yourself, and trying to become a better person in spite of it, with the help of those around you, was definitely one of the more uplifting and, ma like, more majestic and fantastic story beats that I'd seen. Like, like the majority of them, like all of the Zodiacs themselves, not everything was perfect, not all of the Zodiacs were, like, still, like, given the given the time that they needed, and not all of them kind of, yeah, not all of them were able to fulfill the same gravitas and roles that the majority of the main characters had to go through, but I still do give the fact that it was still able to end in a satisfying manner, and calling back to everything that happened back in the first season, and how far the characters have come, and how far they've been able to heal not only themselves, but the people around them through the relationships and the connections that they gave, if I was going to, in the current day, give a recommendation for a shoujo series for anybody else to go through and kind of give it a watch, maybe on the lighter side, I'll give them the 20 episodes of His and Her Circumstances. But if they are interested in going through the 63-episode emotional tear that is Fruits Basket in its new adaptation and its complete and unfledged story, that is where I'd point people towards because it is definitely worth your time. But, as I alluded to at the beginning of the episode, there was one series that I caught up to on episode 12, thinking that it was going to be the final episode and it was only a 12-episode series, only to think, wow, how could they finish this all in 12 episodes? Guess what? They don't. They finish it in 13. And I was thinking, oh, okay, Whew, thank goodness. I still had to wait a week for episode 13. And it was one of the, like, better conclusions to any series that I have seen in the last two decades. It was up there, it was a legitimate noir thriller powerhouse, and I could still give it with confidence currently that Odd Taxi is probably going to be the anime of the year, without question. It is a really odd sell in the same vein that it is a anthropomorphic series, which, of course, has been gaining a lot of traction lately. I mean, on Netflix alone, you've got Agretzico, you've got BNA, you've got Beastars. So you have all of these adaptions going through and using animals in an animal-like world to go through, but it's really weird because it's a simple series. It's, an, it's a world where everybody is an anthropomorphic animal, but nobody really addresses it. Everybody is still going through with their daily lives. It like nobody's it's it's not like they need substitute uh meals. It's not like they have to act towards their counterparts. Although it's very telling that the monkey character is like incredibly foolish and outdated. The inn's lady that also runs a bar, she's like an elderly fox that takes care of her shrine shrine of an establishment. You've got the not necessarily monk uh not not another monkey i guess but like maybe a baboon that is stronger and is with the yakuza but he's the one that kind of like goes through and like settles up on 
being one of the more terrifying and more prolific characters of the series, to the fact that literally the only summary that I can give you is that our main character is a walrus who is a taxi driver, and he's in his mid-40s, is very pessimistic and uh I guess nihilistic to a degree, but he still has more than enough of a sense of realism and common sense to, like, give decent pieces of advice as well as, like, keep up with the rapidly evolving world of bullshit that legitimately goes around him, considering that everybody inside of... Everybody who gets into his taxi has something to talk about and there's always something to go through, which is incredibly boring, on paper. Until you realize that the majority of this is... a. It's basically a noir crime thriller set in one of the districts of Tokyo, where we start off with realizing that there is a high school idol who has gone missing. And on top of the fact that we might believe it's her, because there was a body who was dumped to the bottom of a ravine at the very beginning of the episode, who then leads in... who then... Uh, is related to the main character's taxi gig because she was, she got in his taxi and was the last person to essentially use it. And that was the last recorded place where she was, uh, in comparison before she ended up getting, uh, taken, abducted, or murdered. And our main character takes a picture with a dude who wants to go viral. And his viral picture leads into this baboon who is related to the Yakuza, who has an inn and is currently has the potential to be involved with the missing kidnapping slash murder, which then leads into our main character going home and talking to an open door in his closet, thinking that you he might just be insane, he might just be the one that's related to all of these happenings, and could be the one that's been stowing away the body of a kidnapped high school idol, and he just, and he's a wild, he's, yeah, he's a wild card, bitches! But it's so interesting to kind of see how the majority of all of these characters and relationships and events and connections and jobs all weave together in such a satisfying and complete and clean, like, ridiculously clean story structure that there is always a Chekhov's gun, there is always going to be something that is going to be used at a later date, Everything has significance, everything has a place in the story, and everything will always have a way to tie back to every other major event that decides to happen in this story. And like I said before, the 13th episode, and this is an original series that is finalized. It is 13 episodes long, and it has a complete and written story. And it succeeds in literally every single facet that a storyteller that is going through the majority of these crime thrillers goes through and never leaves anything untied, never leaves anything dangling in the wind. You don't necessarily have any idea what's going through, but you can give and grasp an idea based on underlying hints that you could still be able to construct your own narrative as the entire stories go along, because at this point in time, anything can happen because everybody's connected and everything matters and everything ha- everybody has a reason to be there. It was a great series. It is currently sitting as my best series of this year, by far, considering that I had absolutely no expectations leading into it. For me in particular, I did start hearing rumblings about how this series was going uh, through its popularity and how the mysteries had been building up and all the internet conspiracy theorists like trying to figure out it's like okay so what's in the closet why is everybody animals why essentially does this person know this person and why do they have some sort of relationship to them why 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 the whys get consolidated and organized and answered by the end of this series every single one of them it is a glorious example of storytelling that can be used in any medium. It could have been live action, it could have been animation, it could have been through any sort of, like, method. But the animation here, while simplistic, really does help sell the narrative and one of the biggest mysteries that the series has going for it. And it is the biggest recommendation that I can give to anybody uh, trying to figure out uh, what they're going through and trying to update a backlog or trying to go through This series is only 13 episodes long, and it will not waste your time. Not for a single second. 
And so at least that should be able to give me enough time to wrap up. I am going to be jumping on to the Anime Pass or Fail podcast over the next couple of weeks. So definitely go and give them an opportunity, give them a watch, give them a listen, because I'll be joining up with them and going through a handful of the episodes of a handful of the shows that have started to come out in the summer of 2021. And that's probably going to be my next episode as I go through, since we're already, I we finally ended up getting the final show that didn't essentially have its start in the series, because Sunny Boy, which is probably the one that I'm looking forward to the most inside of this entire series, just dropped its first episode on uh, over-broadcast and over-air, even though the first time it was ever out was literally put up on YouTube for 24 hours and then they dropped it, which I can't tell if it was a good or a bad move. All I know is that, yes, currently Sunny Boy is the one that I'm going to be curious about and looking forward to the most for the majority of the summer season. Um, but I guess that's going to be all I have to say. I will definitely look forward to giving my first thoughts on the summer season and what essentially we have moving forward on the one week, two week, <laughs> whatever schedule I decide to go through and whatever lies ahead. So thanks for listening. Cheers. Thank you.